The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Thanks to longtime support from patrons like Jack and Alan, our 2020 FBS team profiles will be available March 1st. That's two months earlier than the 2019 edition. Your continued support will also secure the long-term health of the pod, keep it ad-free, and help support our research projects and improvement to our content. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and enjoy the show. Just as a heads up as you're listening to this, the recording actually cut off right when we were about to talk about the Big Ten. So uh, stick with us, and it will be here tomorrow. We just have to re-record that segment, but we have some news up at the top and other things that we'll talk about here in this show. So uh, stick with us for the Big Ten tomorrow, but for now, here's some news to get you all caught up in college football. Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen. You can find him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And fellas, how was your weekend? How's everything going for you? Uh, doing pretty well. I'm. Uh, I, I, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I've, I've gotten through 123 team updates in our team profiles uh just uh getting ready to start georgia southern when we get off the phone here and and uh hope to have these wrapped up by the end of the day on thursday which i'm excited about so all of our uh patrons and listeners will need to be on the lookout for uh, a lot of new stuff coming up soon xavier how's your weekend it was good speaking of southern it is georgia southern georgia state week um, we played Southern on Friday. Um, and yeah, so I don't really like them right now. This is going to be fun. This is, that was an amazing segue. Yeah. Uh, can't <laughs> stand them. Oh, state, not Southern all the way. Although I went to both schools. So, um, I have a little <laughs> bit, yeah, you know, but, um, I'm, I'm a state boy now. So state, not Southern. And we're going to hammer them on Saturday, on Friday. Man, I uh, I actually saw some college action this weekend, too. I, I went and saw, uh, actually it wasn't this weekend, it was yesterday as we're recording this, but I saw Arizona State versus New Mexico State in a baseball game because ASU has one of the, and New Mexico State both have a couple of the best prospects for this upcoming uh, mm-hmm. 2020 draft in baseball. So that was pretty interesting. But I'm ready to talk about some football because baseball is not being very nice to me today. R.I.P. Giancarlo Stanton. But, um, <laughs> I mean, uh, the big news that we got to start out here with, Nick, is Colorado got themselves a head coach. Uh, Carl Durrell, uh, he was most recently the Dolphins wide receivers, wide receivers coach and assistant head coach. Uh, he hasn't been a head coach since 2007 when he coached uh, UCLA. Uh, it looks like he's had a stint at Vanderbilt. Uh, as offensive coordinator in 2014, but he's fired after one year. Uh, they picked him over Steve Sarkeesian, uh, Devin Shivrani, and uh, Troy Calhoun and Brett Bielema. So what did you think about this hire? It sort of caught me by surprise. I think uh, most people were, were sort of caught off when it happened pretty quick. I think it was Sunday, uh, and I was doing a little bit of traveling, so I wasn't as you know closely... Uh, monitoring things as, as I would have been if it were uh, during the, the course of a uh, weekday. But it, it seemed like his name popped up just real quick, like, oh, Colorado's uh, considering Carl Durrell. And then next next thing you know, 
you know, the deal signed. And, and from, from that uh, short time period, the first thought was Carl Durrell. Like, wow, that's a name I haven't really heard in a while. And it, at first it was sort of a, uh, a little bit of a negative reaction because he didn't do the, you know, didn't have the, the most success at UCLA. Had, had a couple, had one really nice year record wise and then uh, sort of hovered around 500 the, the rest of the time. But, uh, you know, I, when, his, when his time came to an end there, I think fans were ready to move on. And then he popped up again, as you mentioned, at Vanderbilt in 2014. That was Derek Mason's first year. And they, they were so bad offensively just just really really bad and and he only lasted one year and has basically been in the nfl every other year since so he'd been sort of you know out of sight out of mind for me for the most part but uh it's it's an interesting hire because uh though i did have that that negative reaction at first i'm starting to come around a little bit more or I'm, i i guess maybe in my in my old age, I'm getting more patient. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, wow. to look at hires like this. And, and it was similar to, uh, Herm Edwards, you know, I had a, had a pretty negative reaction when Herb Edwards got hired. Like what? Herm Edwards, he hasn't coached in, you know, 10 years or whatever it was and, and hadn't coached in college in 30 years. But, uh, he's, he's sort of over the last couple of years has set the example of where somebody like this, can you know oversee a program and, and it can still have success i think we saw you know last year mac brown uh who's also had success similar role been out of uh, you know out of coaching for a little while a little older Darrell's only 57 or so yeah so he's, he's not he's not uh as old as those guys but he you know he's he's been around a while and and uh just sort of strikes me as a similar personality maybe if that makes sense just somebody that that potentially could come in be the uh you know be the head coach in that i I don't necessarily like the ceo title but but you know it it seems like maybe that could be the situation um he's had a couple of stints at colorado he also worked for the denver broncos Uh, apparently he lives just down the road and that's partly uh what drew him to the job was that uh he wanted to retire in the area had a house already in the area was apparently on his way there when he got the phone call from the athletic director and uh you know so so there is a bonus where he wants to be there uh which i think is is something that was a concern and and you know with the timing everything is is a bit tricky so you you kind of want to uh maybe go a safe route if you're colorado or i can understand they might want to go a safe route and, and he seems like a safe choice he's not uh a sexy name by any any stretch hasn't set the world on fire as a as a college head coach but i think we've seen in situations like the last couple of years with guys like herm edwards and mac brown and then even going farther back i mean you know, Pete Carroll wasn't necessarily uh, celebrated when he was hired at USC. It was like, okay, well, this was an NFL guy that uh, had mild to little success in the NFL. What's he going to do? And, and he turns USC into a juggernaut, one of the best uh, dynasties in, in recent memory. So I don't think that Colorado is is got the next Pete Carroll necessarily, but uh, I'm I'm willing to be patient and see what he does because I think that 
I, I'm less in a rush to to say, oh, this obviously is the wrong hire because I've been proven wrong often enough uh, over the last several years that that I, I think taking a wait and see approach is is probably best. Yeah, I mean, who hasn't been proven wrong? You know, uh, that is why I'm trying to stay off of Twitter today in Giancarlo Stanton. But uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, the uh, well, what do you think about this hire, Xavier? I feel like you you might be a little bit more critical than Nick. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. Um, I think Colorado, this move is a little bit of PTSD settling in for them. I don't think that they'll want to be thought of as a uh, springboard program. And when we talked about a couple other names, like Brett Bielema, you brought up Steve Sarkeesian, a name we didn't talk about, even Troy Calhoun to, uh, to an extent. All of these guys have had uh, success at the places that they've been at, but they're all in a situation where Colorado could be just that next step for them to get to the job that they ultimately want to be like. Uh, be at kind of like Mel Tucker when he took the job. Now he's at Michigan State. I think Colorado doesn't want to end up in that situation again, where a guy or a, a team like maybe USC next year has a job opening, and a guy like Steve Sarkeesian, you know, if they were to hire him, jumps at the idea of going to a big program like USC, and then they have to do this all over again. By getting a guy like Carl Durrell, you're getting a guy like you said who has not really been in college football in you know almost 20 years. And it, it gives them an opportunity – or excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, about 13 years. But it gives them an opportunity to get a guy who's going to want to build their program, as you see with Herm um, at Arizona State. You know, he's stayed there. And also, I think that they kind of want to go in the same direction. We've seen Herm bring a lot of NFL guys in. And that's not only just good for them as far as a uh, a coaching standpoint, but it's also kind of a recruiting tool that they use. You know, you know, you, you got Byron Leftwich, you got Marvin Lewis all on the same staff with Herm Edwards – these are names that, you know, kids growing up watching NFL football, they know the names. So maybe they're going also in that way as well. Um, it just doesn't really make sense in the fact that he hasn't coached in a very long time. And that unlike a Herm Edwards, where Herm was a head coach in the NFL before he took his long hiatus um, and where Matt Brown was a head coach before he took his hiatus, he never has been. He hasn't been in that situation since 2013, uh, 20, uh, 2007. Um, he's just been out the game for a very long time. You know, and he's been in a, an assistant coach for some pretty porous teams. I mean, you you named it the Dolphins, the Texans. He had that stint at Vanderbilt for a year. But it's like he hasn't shown enough, in my opinion, to be given a job to a team right now who, who is in full panic stations because you have to get them ready right now, um, a week before most uh, spring practices are starting, you know, and you're, what, seven months away from the season starting? That's really not a lot of time for a guy who doesn't have a lot of, you know, college experience so in that regard i don't really like this pick at all i would have much rather than pick a guy like troy calhoun who i thought this was perfect for um i thought he obviously he's been you know recruiting in that state for a very long time he's recruited nationally as we as we talked about that would have been a perfect move for him uh going up a step from uh, air force to Colorado, and I don't think he would have been a guy who would have necessarily left. Um, he's a little bit older of an age, so I don't think that he would have necessarily wanted to make that kind of a movement um, and things of that nature. And I just think that that was a way better move than getting a guy who, last time he was in pro uh, in college football, he had one of the worst-ranked offenses in the country. That's just – it doesn't really make sense to me. So I hope it works out for them, uh, but on paper it doesn't look good. Now, uh, your, your guys' favorite college here, Georgia – hired Scott Cochran away from Alabama. He's going to be the special teams coordinator. And um, 
Uh, he he was widely considered the best strength and conditioning coach in the country, and a big big part of the the Bama you know dynasty, if you want to say it, the just the the current state of Bama football. Uh, do you guys think that this is going to impact Alabama as big as they're making it out to be? Um, I mean, he wanted this, it seems like, because he gets to coach on the field. Uh, he gets to go on the road to help recruit. And maybe he just wanted out of Bama, guys. I mean, uh, that would not be surprising. We've seen a lot of guys uh, leave uh, because it kind of butt heads with Nick Saban there. But, Nick, what were your initial thoughts on this? So I've, I've, uh, I've, I've gone back and forth a few times, and I don't know that I've actually settled – uh, on on one or the other that uh, one you know first and foremost I, I think it's pretty obvious that it's a, a major move I mean we've we've uh, this news came out what Monday and and since then on you know three or four different podcasts that I listened to this has been major news and a couple of them actually did like emergency pods and and for a strength coach <laughs> that's uh, somewhat ridiculous that that it's you know uh, front page news on you know ESPN.com, big big time places that a strength coach is leaving one one spot to take a, a special teams coordinator job. It, it's just you know these type of moves. One, it's sort of rare because uh, uh, somebody really isn't going to, uh, or it's very rare for somebody to be a special teams coordinator or a uh, excuse me a strength and conditioning coordinator for more than a decade and then move to an on the field role that that just you know if, if you've done it for that long chances are you're probably going to stay in the weight room the the bulk of your career but Cochran had apparently uh, expressed an interest in getting on the field in the past and for whatever reason uh Nick Saban just wasn't interested necessarily in in putting him in that role I I don't know if that's a good sign you know you, you think if if Nick Saban uh, was hesitant to to make that move for somebody that is so important to the program. I mean, Scott Cochran is probably one of the only Scott or uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches that you know a normal college football fan could name. And he's you know he's he's a uh, 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 his face is on television every week. He's been in ads in the uh, local area uh he, he's a very recognize recognizable guy they you know put his his face on the uh video board on third downs or whatever it is they always show him in the fourth quarter because he uh you know puts up uh the four fingers on both his hands and never brings them down for the entire fourth quarter and, and that usually gets shown at least once a a, a game at alabama so he, he's He's a bigger personality, uh, more of a known quantity than most strength and conditioning coordinators. And part of that is because Alabama's had so much success. Part of it is, is just his personality is a, is a big personality type guy. Uh, but then, you know, he seems to – I was reading an article by Andy Staples and, and uh, uh, Bruce Feldman at The Athletic uh, shortly after this move that apparently Cochran has uh, – interest in becoming a head coach and his role as a strength and conditioning coordinator is, is somewhat unique in that he works with every player on the roster from 
you know, the, the future pros, the five-star guys down to the walk-ons. And he spends so much more time with those guys because of NCAA rules than uh, their assistant coaches or, or even the head coach. So that that's sort of a unique role that, that can help. Uh, somebody who has head coach aspirations, but again, it's unique. You wouldn't really expect someone to uh, go from, you know, the the weight room to the head coaching chair, and and uh, so that's part of you know why he wanted to make this move, wanted to be an on field coach, and special teams as a particular landing spot is interesting because it's sort of that same thing. Special teams coordinators, I think it's a little bit misunderstood for some people. I, I think a lot of people get it, but I was listening to, again, another podcast that, that you know, was a pretty uh, big name company and a couple of guys were talking about this move and, and I don't know if they were just being flipping about it or, or what, but one of them was saying like, wow, I can't believe he's going for this and now he's going to coach kickers. Well, that's not exactly what special teams coordinators <laughs> do. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not going off to the... the they also you know, coach punters. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, a special teams coordinator doesn't just, you know, go watch kickers in the corner of the third field, you know, mm-hmm. kick all, all practice They're They're involved in, uh, you know, punt coverage, kickoff coverage. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of meetings where you're meeting with large groups of, uh, the team, you know, a lot, a lot of players on the team play on different, uh, units on the on the special teams units, and so it is sort of a, a similar role in that he's going to have his hands on a, a larger percentage of the team. So that's kind of interesting. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, part of me thinks that he, one, he'd been there long enough that you think, wow, he's he's really important, and he's become this this well known person in part because he's very good. On the other hand, Nick Saban apparently was resistant to actually putting him on the field. So you think, okay, did he see something that maybe this guy's not quite built for and on the field role? Uh, but then, you know, on the other hand, maybe, uh, maybe they just wanted a, a change of scenery. You know, maybe he wanted something new. He had been rumored to have an interest in going to Georgia when Kirby smart first went there. Um, but apparently, you know, Alabama stepped up and gave him a big raise and, and didn't want him to leave at that time. But this time it was different. And uh, the opportunity came up and Saban, whether he decided, you know, maybe change would be a good thing. Maybe bringing in some uh, fresh blood would would help a little bit. There have been, you know, some some uh, heard some rumbling, some whispers about how Alabama's had so much injury, uh, you know, concerns with with injuries over the last few years, is there some sort of relation between their strength and conditioning program and, and uh, you know, getting guys injured maybe at a higher rate than might be possible with, with somebody else who did it a different way? I don't know. So there's, it, it's very interesting. It seems very important because he is so well-respected, so well-known. He does seem like he would be a natural as a recruiter, does seem like he would be an asset on the field, but he's never done it before. And that, you know, Nick Saban sort of let him go, didn't fight this time to keep him. Makes me think, okay, maybe, maybe he sort of wanted him to to move on. So I'm not sure exactly where I fall. Uh, my you know, <laughs> ten, ten minutes later, not sure exactly where. I, I I think it's I think it's a good hire for Georgia, and I think it's yeah. uh, you know it, it means that he was underappreciated at Alabama a little bit, or just hey, you know, he wants to do this stuff. Saban isn't going to let him, so go find somewhere that'll let you. Do what you want to do, right, Xavier? Yeah, I mean, 
Twitter kind of, I, I had no idea who this guy was to an extent. I mean, to be honest, uh, but Twitter kind of, you know, in the way that Twitter kind of went crazy after he left, kind of tells you his impact on Alabama. You had Kirk Herbstreit said that this was a significant loss. You had um, Cole uh, Kubelik for um, say that he, no Kubelik for, say that this might be the biggest hit to Nick Saban's Alabama staff that he's ever seen. Uh, you had Paul Feinbaum you know, say he was the soul of that program. I mean, there, with all of this being said, and obviously this is just a few from the, from the long list of people who uh, said things, it, it, you feel like it was time, he felt that it was time for him to finally make a move. Um, you know, a tweet that I also saw was that since um, Kirby had left, this was kind of something he had been thinking about off and on. Obviously the raise was something that, you know, kept him there, but he thought, you know, Maybe there's, you know, light elsewhere. You know, the grass is greener over there. So let me uh, attempt to make that move. And like you said, Nick, he wanted to get on the field. He wanted to, you know, get, you know, become a coach in that way and get out of the weight room necessarily. You know, I think that this is a nice step for him. Um, I don't think that it's, you know, a crazy move. It's not like he was hired as the defensive coordinator or he's going to be running the passing, uh, the long range passing game at Georgia now. I think that, you know, him being the uh, special teams coach allows him to still focus on both. Maybe not as even um, as he used to be as being just a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, but now being a special teams coach, I think, allows him to get, ingratiate himself in coaching in, in, in a different way than obviously he's been doing. Uh, I think this is also a big move for Georgia. Obviously, since losing James Coley, they had to pick up another name on the recruiting front. And I think that this does that for them um, in that way as well, as it gives them another guy, another name that kids will know. And that is also an amazing recruiter after losing a guy like Coley, who we all know was a was a good recruiter, you know, and has been um, in his time in college football. So I think that helps them in that regard as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that. You know, you mentioned all the people talking about this move and how it's a detriment to Alabama and stuff. But I mean, Nick, is there any way that people might be overreacting to news because it's February and we just don't have that much? <laughs> uh, it's possible, but but this is this is unique because you know it. it I mean, I I've known who Scott Cochran was for I don't know five or six years now, and and that might not mean much. I mean, I, I dive deeper into the weeds than a lot of people uh, on on college football. So, so maybe I'm just weird. But, you know, I've seen him on TV a lot. I, I know that he's got, uh, you know, he's been in television ads for like a bank or something in, in Alabama. Uh, he, he is somebody that more, you know, he more, more normal everyday college football fans know who Scott Cochran is than, uh, any other strength and conditioning coach and, and certainly uh, more than most, I would say just position coaches. I mean, he, he, he is somebody that is uh, a bigger personality. So it, it, it's something that grabs attention more. And the fact that it's Alabama, I think is, is a big part of it, but yeah, I think you're, you're right that there is probably an element of this that is, you know, if this had happened in December, would we be talking about it three days later? Maybe not. Um, but it, it seems significant at this moment. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right that it wouldn't be as big of a deal if it were, if it happened some other time of the year. Yeah. And I'm not trying to trivialize it at all. I'm just, you know, I, I do think that people that, uh, in the media, a lot of them will overblow things, you know, uh, and this is the same thing that we get 
in the offseason with who's in the best. You know, you can see it right now in uh, spring training. Who's in the best shape of their life? Who mm-hmm. has a, you know, tiny injury? Uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Just it gets blown out of proportion because we're not in the middle of the season. We don't have games going on. So, you know, little things get picked up a little bit. But I do think this is a it's a bigger news than people would say, oh, who cares about the strength and conditioning coach? But I don't know if it's, you know, what did Paul Feinbaum say, Xavier? He's the backbone of the Alabama team. I, I don't know if it goes yeah. that far. You know, that's all. Yeah. I will say it's, it's, it's fine, interesting. Bob, so, right. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's interesting what Kirby Smart has done this year in his his uh, reworking his coaching staff because a lot of head coaches and and Smart still in his what he's going into his fourth year as uh, Georgia's head coach and and uh, as a you know it's his first time being a head coach. He's had what a lot of people would would say is a lot of success thus far. I mean, played in a national championship game, won an SEC championship, has won uh, the division each of the last uh, two seasons. Three. Three seasons. Okay, so he's going into his Three. fifth year then, right? Uh, but anyway, so, so yes. um, you know, a, a lot of people would think, okay, that's, that's, that's a lot of success. You're moving in the right direction. Just signed the number one class in the country. Uh, so, so things have got to be great, right? Well, he, he obviously, you know, the offense had been a source of concern and, and he went out, made a, an outside the box hire. James Coley was still on staff, still had the job of offensive coordinator when he went out and, and got, uh, I, I still can't remember. Is it Jeff or Todd Munkin? But, uh, <laughs> Jeff, I think, uh, t- well, Todd's the. Army. Uh, we did this. Before. Yeah. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, yes. But <laughs> it's one of the monkets, right? Yes. Exactly. It's so, odd. It's so odd. That was a bit of an outside the box hire, and then to go and and pluck uh, Buster Faulkner, who was the offensive co- sitting offensive coordinator at Southern Miss, uh, who did some really good things offensively last year. So it's not like he was a guy that got fired and and just had to go. We've seen you know, some good Southern Miss players get drafted too. I mean, you're absolutely right about mm-hmm. that. So. And, and so he leaves that job to become uh, an analyst at Georgia. And there was a thought that, you know, he would move up and become maybe quarterback's coach or something like that once uh, Coley left the staff. But then Kirby decided, OK, I'm going to uh, actually make another outside the box move. If I can get Scott Cochran to come and sure, I can I can let him be special teams coordinator. Another thing I, I failed to mention about special teams coordinator, you don't have to do it all on your own. It's not like he has to go right. and draw up, you know, okay, we're going to do this punt coverage and this is what the personal protector does and this is what the shield, you know, you don't have to do all that stuff on your own. Most staffs divide up the responsibilities and, and somebody's sort of, in charge of uh, the field goal unit. Somebody's sort of in charge of punt. Somebody else is in charge of punt return. And and you kind of work together uh, as a coaching staff. So, you know, for, for somebody coming in in his first full-time on-the-field job, uh, he's not just going to have to sink or swim. He's going to have some help uh, with, you know, this unit that he is, quote-unquote, uh, coordinating. And, and I do believe that Georgia's tight ends coach uh, has some special teams coordinator experience as well. So, you know, that's a benefit. He, he's he's going to have uh, an opportunity probably to, to 
do a lot of different things, including spend some time in the weight room and help over, you know, uh, oversee that operation. But it's it's an outside the box hire by Kirby Smart, and I think he, you know, is something worth bringing up that he's not just sitting back and, and saying like, okay, we've been we've been pretty good, almost great. You know, we just need to keep chopping wood and we'll get there. Uh, he's thinking, okay, what what can I do to gain just a, a little bit more of an edge and help us get over the hump? And this was part of that plan. And, and I think it's it's interesting. You know, it might not uh, in two years, we might look back and say, oh, boy, Georgia's special teams have been horrible. Scott Cochran, where, what was Kirby Smart thinking? <laughs> or, you know, we could we could sit back and think like, wow, you know, this uh, Georgia's won the last two national championships. And boy, that's Scott Cochran. He's about to be the head coach at, you know. Man, I really hope that doesn't happen because you guys will be insufferable if Georgia wins two in a row. I definitely will. Yeah, I'm warning you now. It happens. It's over with. Um, Now, I like this question that you posed down here, Nick. It's uh, about the NFL Combine, and since the NFL Combine is in full swing, and today, as this is coming out on uh, Thursday, we're starting to get actual numbers, stuff that's not just measurements and interviews. Uh, And you kind of pose this question, does the NFL Combine and uh, prospect success uh, in testing resonate with recruits? And um, I got to be honest, I don't think that any recruits that are, um, you know, in the general range of 17 to 19 years old, I don't think they care at all about the combine um i I bet there's a lot of college players that don't care about it until they get there um because i am a giant nfl draft person i um host a show on in this league about the nfl draft uh we talk a lot about the draft on this show i live stream during the draft on my in this league patreon and i hate the combine I uh I I like the interviews and stuff and I like seeing the the numbers at the end like the actual measurements and the 40 times and all that stuff but it just you know couldn't be a more tedious thing for me so I think especially if you have a you know shorter attention span between 17 and 19 you're probably not paying too much attention to it I mean Nick would you agree with that so I, I did write this question down and I did it sort of uh, without an answer really in mind because on the one hand, I, I think you're right that it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the minutia of the sport in a lot of ways that it, it might not register with high schoolers. They got a lot going on. I mean, you know, it's getting, it's almost uh, track season and baseball season and whatever, you know, these, these kids have, have, are leading their lives and, and may not be paying attention. But then on the other hand, if you're a, an aspiring division one football player, you're dreaming about getting to the league. And so you might actually pay a little bit more attention than we might expect. And you might look and say like, oh man, you know, Alabama's got all these guys. Alabama's getting getting guys ready for the league. Or, you know, Georgia is is got, you know, people are talking about LSU, Joe Burrow all day. They're talking about uh, you know, whatever whatever the the you know fastest 40 time is or or shuttle or cone or or whatever. I mean, that's going to be something that pops up on Sports Center, on the bottom line, on on, you know, just whatever. And a kid that that's dreaming about, you know, what their future holds. 
I just I wonder if it if it registers at all, because I think it does. I think the draft matters. I think, you know, every every time you see uh, somebody's updated locker room or, or, you know, team room or, or whatever, you always see all the graphics of the NFL guys and, and right. draft picks and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, college teams do that for a reason. So I, I think there is something to it that if a if a particular program is sending enough guys to the NFL combine and, and being part of the conversation this time of year, uh, I don't know. I think it I think it you know, you'd be, you'd rather have guys there than not. And, and so I think it could be a a small tool perhaps for somebody that's sitting in a living room or or you know making a, a phone call or, or something like that say hey you know turn on nfl network look we got three guys uh they're competing for the combine that you know you, you could be the next one whatever it is i i don't know i mean i'm, I'm so far removed from all of that 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 you know, time. That's another that reason that that's another reason right there where I don't think that a lot of guys look, I think that a lot of the kids in high school, uh, you know, I think you get about 50, 50. I think you get about 50% that just want to play football because they've always played football and they love it. And, uh, the, uh, 50% that, uh, you know, also see it as I have to get to the NFL. I think those guys are paying attention to, the combine more than the other guys that are just playing it more, you know, quote unquote, for the love of the game. Right. So uh, I think there are some guys that are going to be paying attention to that. But I think it's few and far between because we have so many people. Uh, it's crazy. I know uh, just an insane amount of people that will watch college and not really care about the pros at all. And I know even more people that uh, love the pros and don't care about the um you know, college football at all. And uh, for me, I love football. I'm having a hard time actually getting uh, up and excited about the XFL. And I love football, but the XFL is just something a little bit different than what we're used to. So, Xavier, what do you think about uh, the um, recruits and watching the Combine and all of that stuff? I think that recruits definitely look at how many kids you get into the Combine. But it's not only just that. When I was you know, being recruited in high school and, you know, even talking to guys who went in D1 who were on my teams and things of that nature, something we, we kind of figured out together was that even if you don't have a great college career, sometimes depending on the school you go to, you'll get an invite anyways. And sometimes that holds weight. Um, you know, for, for instance, Georgia obviously has, you know, 10 people in the combine. And out of the 10 who are there, I can give you at least three names who, at least production-wise, didn't deserve to get there, but they played at Georgia. So they gave them an opportunity due to the name of the school that they went to. You know, um, But with that being said, I think that has to hold a lot of weight. You know, The difference between you going to Texas or TCU might be simply because of the fact that you know, even if, if I have a just a decent career at Texas, I'll get an invite to a combine where if I have a decent career at TCU, it's not promised. And I think that that has uh, holds some way in the recruiting aspect of it. Uh, but as you said, some kids don't even watch the combine whatsoever. They don't care. Um, I remember running the combine drills um, at home, you know, afterwards. But, you know, for some people, they don't care absolutely at all about the combine. But I think in that regard, about being able to go to a school, have a decent career and still get that invite, um, being an option, whether it's if you went to a lower level school, had a great career and you still might not get an invite. 
I think that has to be weighed into a factor at least. What's your forty time? <laughs> a four four flat. Four four <laughs> flat. Oh, that was my fastest forty time. Yeah. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm so serious. Wow. I, th- yeah. I think I broke five flat once. If memory, mean, if memory serves, I broke five flat once. When I, I, I might have been able to break nine <laughs> flat at one time, but uh, probably not. Maybe if there's a couple burgers at the end of the, the tunnel there for me. But uh, then we have a couple of depth chart uh, bad news things uh, just to mention here. Uh, Georgia defensive lineman Devontae Wyatt was arrested earlier this week. That was a misdemeanor thing. I don't think, um, you know, that this is probably like the the first half of the first game suspension or something like that, right, Nick? Uh, it's sort of a wait and see, I guess. Yeah, anytime I see those, because I do, you know, keep a keep a close eye on the depth chart and and why it is somebody that's projected to start in our our updated twenty twenty team profiles at defensive tackle. So uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it, it it could be a situation, yeah, where it's just a, a slap on the wrist and and you know maybe they. Maybe he doesn't get suspended even at half. Maybe they take care of it with, uh, you know, 5 a.m. something or other. But uh, on the other hand, you know, sometimes a, a thing like this is the tip of the iceberg and it could be something that that ends up, you know, costing a guy multiple games or, or you know, even longer. So it's it's just something to, to keep in mind. And the next one on the list is one that's probably going to, uh, he might be done. Oh in, yeah, in Indiana. <laughs> yeah, Peyton Hendershot uh, was arrested for you know we'll just uh, call it domestic violence. Uh, not a good situation there. Uh, I'm sure you can go find the details if you wanted to look up exactly what happened. But it's an ugly situation and uh, an even worse one. Navy offensive lineman David Forney uh, passed away. I, I we don't know what the cause was at this point. He was just found unresponsive in his dorm room and. Obviously, you hate to hear uh, terrible stories like that in the offseason. So uh, just some bad stuff going on. But let's talk about some good stuff and let's go to uh, the Big Ten. And we'll do that tomorrow because this is right where the recording cut off. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow to recap the Big Ten. So stick with us and we will have that up later tomorrow. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.